Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Hey, marketers. Hey, business leaders. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. I'm Randy Frisch, the CMO of Uberflip. And today I got to speak to the CMO and a different type of CMO than I've been speaking to, to be honest. It's Andrea Lechner-Becker at LeadMD. Now, I've known Andrea for quite a bit, more, to be honest, from some of the content, because at LeadMD, we get to partner with them very often at Uberflip. And it's one of those agencies that, and, and I'll be very honest here, I've had a lot of outreach from agencies that we partner with, but when they don't actually have someone in the CMO role, someone who's owning marketing in that organization, I'm not going to bring a CEO onto this podcast, even if they have a marketing background. But in Andrea's case, she is truly owning the marketing piece at LeadMD, and she's got a combination of some headcount in the organization, but she also has to leverage a lot of outsourced resources. So an interesting angle that we get to unpack today, again, different than some of our guests who are overseeing these large teams, global teams. In her cases, she describes it, her product is people, right? Her product are really bright marketers who she gets to align with their customers to help them solve big problems. And I think that you know, the big problem pieces is an interesting part. You'll, you'll get to this in the second half of this podcast today where we talk about trying to position what you sell at a more strategic level. And I think a lot of us struggle with this. You know, we don't want someone to perceive us as what they search for, but perhaps at a much more strategic lens. And I think Andrea does a great job at outlining that. So without further ado, I think I'm pronouncing it right. She, she trained me on this. Andrea Lechner-Becker here to talk about being in CMO. Hey, Andrea, thank you so much for stopping by to talk to us about being CMO at LeadMD. Let's unpack that a little bit and set some context for people because uh, if you and I talked about this, this is a unique CMO opportunity where you get to lead a marketing org, but with a lot of outsourced marketing resources. Yes. So LeadMD is a, we call ourselves a marketing performance consultancy. And what that means is that everybody on our team is fundamentally a marketer who wants their marketing that they do with their clients to turn into revenue. And so I do have a very unique position where my job is to market my marketers to other marketers. And, uh, and it's, it's, uh, extremely challenging and very, very fun. And I think that basically what we ask our customers to do, so we're really big into eating our own dog food or drinking our own champagne, whatever analogy you like. And one of the things that we ask our customers to do is to entrust us as an outside source to be able to use our expertise to influence and impact their revenue and their marketing results. And so I think it would be kind of hypocritical if I don't do that within my own organization. So to your point, yeah, to your point, I am a CMO and there are two people who report into me. One is an operations person, primarily, um, you know, Salesforce admin and Marketo admin. And then I have our, what we call account development reps reporting into me too. Currently I have one, I'm hiring for the second, if you know anyone good. Um, (laughs) And so 
those people report into me, but then I outsource PR, I outsource SEO, I outsource content writing, some to external resources and often to my own staff, right? So the delivery team that's doing all this amazing work with our clients, they're a great source of content for me. And so I make them write stuff for me and hound them. But yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, my, my job as CMO is certainly the vision, creating compelling stories that our buyers want to engage with, but I try to stay out of as much tactical implementation as I can and outsource it. That's interesting. And and I got to be honest, I mean, as much as you think a lot of these marketing agencies that are out there are going to know how to do marketing themselves, very often they just, they never have time for marketing, right? Like you hear them say that all the time. Our website looks terrible because, yeah, we're so focused on our customers or we're, yeah, we we just can't get to our own marketing. I got to give you guys credit, LeadMD, and full disclosure for people listening. We do a lot of of work together between Uberflip and LeadMD. But, uh, you know, the the reality is the marketing you guys do is great. I've I've been on some webinars that we've done together that are a ton of fun and a really good angle. And I think the way you put it, put just a moment ago was your product in a way is your marketing. It is your marketers. So you, know, you got to eat your dog food, as you said, although they're definitely better analogies. Yeah. <laughs> so let's take a, take a step back though, to figure out how you got here. And let's you know, do the, it, Randy. Let's do it. Let's go back into our DeLorean and <laughs> let's, let's take it back to what did you think your path was going to be when you joined the Phoenix Suns, right? And, and for people being like basketball? Yes, basketball, Phoenix Suns. Where were you trying to get towards? Yeah. So the reason I joined the Phoenix Suns, the job I had before that, which was my first gig out of college, I was the one woman. I like being one woman teams apparently, but I was the one woman (laughs) sales and marketing team at an art gallery, which is uh, not something that most people do or hear about, but I loved it. And part of the one of the first things that I did when I got there is they had this database. It was FileMaker. If anyone remembers ever building a database on FileMaker, it's terrible. And they had three little fields. And so I sold dog art and dogs, dog people care about dogs that look like their dog. And the artist that I represented, his stuff is really expensive. So like $30,000 for a painting of your dog, but $10,000 for a painting of someone else's dog potentially. Um, from a shelter. And so if you have basically ABM back in the day, (laughs) right. And so if you had a golden retriever, your golden retriever looks like another golden retriever probably. And so you can save $20,000 by just buying an original of some other golden retriever. And so I learned this really quickly that, you know, dog people care about their breed, but we didn't have a lot of that data. We only had data on, you know, 30 people on the database. So I did this little email marketing campaign where I asked people what breed of dog they have. Super simple. My response rate on it was insane. It was 30% on a 3000 person database, which I totally wasn't expecting. So I sat for probably a month and input all of this data into FileMaker, my thousand responses and responded to each one of them. But what it did was give me this database that I could then go query. And my sales through that effort tripled in a year. So I was like, this is amazing. This concept of database marketing and selling and that I fell in love with that immediately, which I had never learned about in my whole life. I went to school for marketing thinking I was going to work for an ad agency, like probably everybody, or now they think they're going to be social media managers, but 
it's another story. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so, so I didn't have any idea that this database marketing thing was a thing, but then I fell in love with it doing the art gallery stuff. And so then in Phoenix, although we're a major metropolitan area, there aren't a lot of companies with huge databases that you can play around with. And so you're basically looking at PetSmart, you're looking at B2B companies that I didn't even know existed, like Avnet and Insight at the time. And so I went to the big sports team because at the time, uh, which was 2009, um, the Phoenix Suns database was 3 million people. And I thought, wow. well, that sounds fun. And then during the interview process, I learned what marketing automation was at 24 years old. Didn't even know marketing automation was a thing. Didn't realize that things could be easy. Like this database, you could immediately know if somebody that you sent an email to clicked it Right. opened it. You could Granted, follow this up. was 2009, but, yeah. but yes, that's so, so I fell in love with that idea. The sons used Eloqua. So I took a job. I took a huge pay cut. I was, uh, making six figures working at the art gallery. And I went down to making $32,000 at the Phoenix suns for the explicit opportunity to learn a technology, to learn a skill set, to improve what the rest of my career would look like. And potentially meet Steve Nash. No. Uh, I did meet Steve Nash. There yeah. So it's sort I, I just of, took a guess there, by the way. We didn't, we didn't talk Canadians about this before. love Steve Nash. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think- For listeners, uh, Steve Nash is like an amazing basketball player on the Phoenix Suns who, you know, is, is one of the all-time greats. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And they, the players and the staff all park in the same place. So you'd like walk by Amari Stoudemire and the whole thing. Very cool. Um, yeah, but I, I didn't know any of those players' names. I could not name a Phoenix Sun for you today if I tried. I was not into sports. That's not why I took the job. I took it so I could learn the tools. The data. The data. So mm-hmm. that, that, that path really paved your career, right? I mean, you know, we'll, we'll fast track through here because we've only got a few minutes. You went on to you know, a, a more senior opportunity that hopefully bridged that salary gap at Cox Communications, focusing on acquisition. And, and along the way, you, you found LeadMD, where you've now been, I guess, almost eight years total. Is that Yeah, that a right? little over eight years. Yep. But before we kind of unpack what it's like to be a CMO at LeadMD where we started, what I find interesting is you took a, I guess, I don't know, as a sabbatical or you took a leave. How would you position what you decided to do in leaving LeadMD and then coming back, you know, less than a year later? Yeah. So I tend to call it a sabbatical because it's easier to explain. But in reality, what happened is I always write on the side. I've, I, used to work at an art gallery and marketing and sales, right? So it kind of explains to you that I am equally right and left-brained. I love the arts. I love history. I love literature. I love stuff, right? And so I've always written. And I think writing helps me all of the time in business because it gives me an outlet to think about things completely different than what I'm dealing with in any given day on the job. And so I love it. I, I write every week. and what I got into a project on was a novel about this girl who had terminal cancer and had 60 days left to live and she was keeping a diary. And so I'm writing this book and I think it's, it's practically impossible to put yourself in the shoes of somebody who has only 60 days left to live and not think to yourself, what would I do if I only had 60 days left to live? Yeah, that's true. And I thought, you know, the thing that I would be the most disappointed about if I died tomorrow is 
not publishing this book, not getting it out into the world and promoting it and just doing, doing that thing. Like it would make me really sad. I wouldn't feel fulfilled in my life. And so, you know, it's, it was an extremely challenging decision because at that time I'd been at LeadMD just over six years and I started, you know, employee four helped Justin Gray, our CEO, build the business from really small under, you know, $500,000 a year to almost 10. And it was, it was a really, really challenging decision. I felt super selfish making it because I'd hired pretty much everyone in the organization at that point, And I'd sold them on the dream, like we're in this together. And then I leave. Um, so right. it was a really, it was a really, really challenging decision. But I think ultimately it was driven by the idea that like, if I you never know what tomorrow holds. And I am going to be too much of a hypocrite to be writing this book and not living it to some extent. I love that. Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a short break here. And I think on this episode, maybe we'll save the second half for what is it actually like being a CMO where you've got everything on your plate at the same time, but you're shaping this vision for a company of, of the size of LeadMD. We'll be right back here with Andrea on the marketer's journey just after this short break. Want to create high converting experiences for your demand strategies that accelerate pipeline and drive revenue? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and Stantec are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies. And we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com slash journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences to drive demand. All right, Andrea. So we left everyone with the idea that you leave LeadMD. You go and pursue this passion project, live that dream, been extremely successful, but then you come back and now you're wearing the CMO hat. Right. Like, and, and that I'm curious, first of all, you know, what kind of pressure changed on your shoulders? What expectations were different coming in, wearing that title, wearing that hat and, and knowing that you're still going to do so in a very lean mentality. Yeah. I mean, I think the job, it was, it is completely different than running the delivery team, which is what I did before I left. Running the delivery team, you are essentially running product because we are selling people's brains and their ability <laughs> to problem solve. And so I think there's, there's ev almost everybody in the organization, the bulk of the organization reported to me. There is a tremendous amount of methodology concerns and client services. So you're basically product, customer service, customer success. You're just all of these things. And so for me, going to marketing was like, oh, I have like one discipline. <laughs> That's exciting. Right. Um, and so, so for me, uh, it certainly, it felt honestly like a lot easier of a job. I think the hardest thing is certainly the idea that, you know, we consult on this stuff. So there's a standard that I have to meet for our customers because essentially the reason that people purchase consulting services is primarily at the base expertise, 
right? And so if I'm going to tell you, you can trust me with your marketing, which is essentially saying you can trust me with your job. If you work with us, you're not going to get fired. Like you're going to be one of those CMOs that stays in their job longer than two years because we know what we're doing and we're going to help you be successful. I have to back that up with everything that I do. And so it's, it's a lot of pressure in that way. But I'm also lucky because I know what we deliver in terms of services and what our best practices are. And so, and I've been preaching sort of marketing best practices for like six years before that. So I pretty much just had to practice what I preached. So I'm going to keep you on your toes here. I'm going to, I'm going to take a bit of a tangent. I'm going to sure. you know, throw a curveball at you. I, I'm interested in the comment you made a moment ago where you said, we're selling expertise. Right? Yeah. And, and without a doubt, I think that's true. When I think of outsourcing something here, I often think, okay, let's, let's get someone who knows how to do this well. The other aspect, though, that I sometimes fall back on it is the idea of just bandwidth. Right? Sure. And, and you often think of using an agency because either you just don't have the bandwidth, you don't have the expertise. Where do you focus more in terms of your buyer journey around bandwidth versus expertise? And how do you know which lever to pull to win someone over? Because for some people, it truly is a bandwidth issue that they need that help. But sometimes I feel like that's similar to some SaaS platforms like ours. When we just sell on you know, bandwidth, it's, it's not as strategic as perhaps expertise or value in the same way. Yep. And I think you you kind of just answered it for me, to be honest, because it's, it, it is, you know, we can sell the bandwidth concept, right? Like we've certainly gone out to job boards, looked at people who are hiring for Marketo administrators and pitched, Hey, you can just use us. Those are not our best customers. And the reason they're not our best customers is because we really do our best work when we are partnered with somebody who trusts us as a strategic component of their go-to-market. And it takes time, frankly. Like that's almost the best answer that I can give is that it takes time for our clients to educate us so that we can do the best work. So if you're just looking to plug and play with us, certainly from an administration of technology perspective, you can. It's just you know, you can do that cheaper in other places, honestly. And so that would be my recommendation. Like we're really looking for people who are looking to do really big, important things. I have this obnoxious graphic behind me for uh, that people can't see because it's a podcast, but uh, it's called Catalyst. And that's really what we're looking for. We're looking for people who are doing really cool projects, but they're they're going into our uncharted territories and they want a partner who can help them find the landmines before they step on them and blow their leg off or die, AKA get fired. So I, you know, taking this more to a, a level where any marketer can listen into this podcast and, and think about, okay, how do I do the same? How do, how do you message to take someone's eye off of what they've categorized that they're looking for versus what you want to highlight, right? As you said, I, you know, you don't want to, be categorized in your case as the bandwidth or as, you know, the, the replacement for a certain headcount. You want to be seen as someone who can be a difference maker. So for, for a lot of companies, how do you, how do you reframe someone off what they may be looking for versus what you want to be positioned as? I have uh, an opinion and a hypothesis and we 
are working towards the proof that this hypothesis works. But one of the things that I mentioned earlier was the expertise as a, as a baseline for how people know that they can trust us. And so we certainly do a lot of thought leadership about the kinds of things people should be asking. Like, for example, how do you conduct the most perfect go-to-market strategy workshop, right? How many people are Googling that? Not very many is the answer, but really like I have a lot of top of funnel content, like what is a salesforce.com primary campaign that leads into other questions that people should be asking. And so by opening that door there, that's one strategy that I have to get people to start thinking about things differently in top of funnel content. And then I would actually argue that the place that we are the most effective is our sales team. So our sales team is exceptionally good at talking about the solution consultation that everyone talks about in sales, that you should have a consultative sale, but our people actually do it. And so we often have people that come in from an MQL perspective or dial us up, fill out our form, whatever. And they are looking for things like, Hey, we don't have good lead scoring right now. And our AEs are exceptionally good at turning that conversation from a technical, you don't have lead scoring to like, what is that actually meaning for your business? Mm -hmm. Are you trying to gain market share someplace. You know what I mean? Like that's such a tactical small thing that if we are talking to people who don't have a bigger concern, if it's just like, no, I just need lead scoring to work. Like that's a bad customer for us most of the time. So we're looking to have a different kind of conversation. And I think that what I'm sort of alluding to is that at every stage, we're sort of challenging people to think about their problem a little bit different. So at the top of funnel, we're doing it in content. They have to read it. Um, and then at the, at, towards the bottom of the funnel, we're doing it constantly with the sales process that we have in motion. And then once they get into a, into an actual engagement with us, our delivery team is doing the same thing, right? But we've set them with that expectation that like, we are not the consulting firm that you just go to for, I need new lead scoring. Like, we're going to challenge you on what you're looking to accomplish, like why you're looking to do this thing and also suggest some things that you might not be thinking about so that you can go to your boss and be like, yeah, look at I, me. I, I'm thinking about these huge things now. I really like the way they, that you outlined that, Andrea, because I think a lot of us are challenged with people are searching for certain things, but we want to position ourselves as a much more holistic strategic solution. And I think you gave some great ideas there. I think a lot of that comes into, as you said, the content you're using and how you queue it up, you know, let people find you around the challenge they have, but then take that conversation by feeding them those next assets that reframe it. And I think that's, that's a real practical takeaway today. Andrea, we've, we've got a couple more minutes here, but we're going to take a quick break. Then we're going to dig into not just, you know, the buyer journey you just outlined in your career journey, but how you take some time for yourself. We'll be right back here on the marketer's journey. Hey, Andrea. So we've unpacked your career. We've unpacked the buyer journey and how you make that strategic sale versus I'm going to call it the functional sale. But I'm kind of curious how you make time for yourself. Now, you already get a ton of credit because you actually took a step away from your job to pursue passion for a year, which I know is still work, but it, you know, it was passion. How do you take the breaks though now that you're in this CMO role? Well, my answer to this, uh, Randy, is it's a kind of, it's, it's maybe uh, not what anyone would expect, but like 
I don't have children. So I feel like compared to the rest of the people that I work with that have kids and like things happening, like my life is entirely simple. Like (laughs) all I have to do is worry about myself, my personal development, my job. Like I being childless. That's fair, but everything is relative. You know, I always say I have three kids and I always say, you know, imagine. one kid was, was like impossible, but now I look back and it's like, what a walk in the park that was. So you still have to cement those times. I mean, how good are you, are you at, at cementing vacation time? Uh, really good. I love Europe. So go. I go every year. Yeah. I mean, I, I think ultimately like I've, I, I'm a big believer in just diligence and sticking to what you want to do. I think, you know, and again, I think some of it comes back to the idea that I wrote a book about somebody who has 60 days left. And I really thought a lot about what is important in life and all the things that everybody's talking about, right? Like this isn't going to blow anyone's mind. Like, oh, I need to think about what's important to me. But really, I mean, you, there's nothing that compares to spending two and a half weeks with my husband traveling and learning about another culture and visiting museums. And um, it is the thing that, again, in my mind, makes me a better business person to go do things that are completely outside of the realm of business and conferences and all of that stuff. So um, I, I don't know that I have like anything practical to share. No, with that's you great. That. Listen, I, I think that's great. And you know, why, why don't we give you a chance to also plug that book quickly here? I think it's called Six, 60 Days Left, correct? That's what it's called. Yep. And people should go where to buy that book. Go on to Amazon or you can uh, Google Andrea Lechnerbecker, which is obnoxious, but you can Google it. And <laughs> it was such a shock to have the domain available to me. <laughs> Amazing. Um, what yeah. luck. What luck. <laughs> uh, but if you go there, it'll just push you back to Amazon. So you might as well just go to Amazon and call it a day. Amazing. Andrea, thank you so much. For everyone who's tuned in today, yet another look at how to get to that senior level of marketing leadership. Andrew's a CMO, took a different path as we saw, and many of the guests that I've gone to interview on the marketer's journey to date have all had a different path, all had a different way that they lead. If you've enjoyed this podcast, take a look at some of the other ones, take a listen, I should say, at the other ones. We on, Check it out on Spotify, on iTunes, anywhere you get your podcasts, Google Play, etc. We're there. Leave us a review when you can. Until next time, thanks, Andrea, and thanks to all of you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify at uberflip.com slash podcast or anywhere you listen to podcasts.